Hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Urban Planning is Not Boring. Um, We have a very special guest today, and we want to introduce Shruti Shankar. Am I saying that right? Yep, you got it right. Awesome. From Studio 111. So Shruti is the Urban Design Director at Studio 111, which is based in Long Beach, California. She is originally from Chennai in India and grew up always interested in the people and life of cities, not just the buildings. Shruti has a background in architecture and is currently a Fulbright Fellow, um, a certified eco-districts planner, and a new mom on top of all of that. So we want to welcome Shruti. And if there's anything else that you would like to add about your background for our listeners, we want to give you the space to do that now. But really, we just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and say welcome. Thank you, Sam. And thanks for having me. This is really exciting. Um, I did want to add maybe to what you said that um, although I am a certified uh, planner, I actually never formally went to planning school. Um, I studied architecture and then urban design in my master's program. And that's sort of been my portal into the world of planning. And so I love being able to hop between planning and design because often they bring such different perspectives and, you know, ways of thinking about the built environment. So that's a little bit more about me. That's amazing. And I also think that it's always really interesting pulling different disciplines into planning. And I feel like often when Sam and I are talking to to people, they come from such kind of diverse backgrounds and they somehow all are able to just kind of intersect into planning. So I think that's really awesome. The kind of different backgrounds that that you bring to the table. And um, so just to begin our conversation, Sam and I would were hoping that you could kind of share with our listeners the work that Studio 111 does in Long Beach and kind of what have been your favorite experiences while working at Studio 111. Sure. So just sort of a brief introduction maybe to studio. We're a design practice. Uh, we have architects, landscape architects, as well as urban designers. Um, and the core of our work is really the repair of you know existing cities and revitalization of communities. We, we think of all of our projects as urban interventions, um, really looking at how do we improve livability? How do we further sustainable living? And you know make the places that we create better for the community that's already there. So I think that's really kind of a core value um, that we have in all our work. Um, But at the same time, we're also focused on, you know, creating buildings and places that feel real, that feel authentic, um, that are beautiful, and that can inspire joy. So design plays a really central role in how we get to that sort of goal of of revitalizing communities. Um, We're based in Long Beach, but we work all over Southern California. And we've done things that are quite varied in scale and typology. So we've We've done things like create master plans and visions for downtowns, urban districts, uh, but we've also done a lot of architecture, which is sort of our, the core of our practice. So we've, you know, build um, affordable housing, uh, you know, modular housing. We've uh, done community buildings, a lot of mixed use. Um, but then we also have a very strong landscape practice uh, that intersects with a lot of our urban design work. Um, and for example, you know, uh, we championed the adoption of parklets in Southern California as early as 2011. So some of the you know earliest parklets were designed by our office and, and built in Long Beach. So, uh, you know, quite a diverse mix of work, but really through all of it, we're asking ourselves, how does this contribute to making a better place um, where, where, where it fits in? 
And then in terms of favorite experiences, I mean, a lot of the projects that I've worked on have have been phenomenal in my time at studio. Right now, we're actually working on a project to help the city of L.A. build bus shelters and the public right of way to further shade equity. That's really exciting. Uh, in complete contrast, at the same time, we're also working on a vision and a plan for the waterfront district in downtown Long Beach. So completely different set of things that we're uh, thinking about. Um but also, while I love all of the work that we do, I think I would say that all my favorite experiences about studio has also been about the people. Um, like I said, we're a very multidisciplinary practice. Um, and all my colleagues, they're an incredible group of people. They're not just really talented, but also very committed to the to the goal of what we're trying to do and uh, just a lot of fun to be around. So we, we prioritize trying to have people you know, work across groups, across disciplines as much as we can. Um, and I've sort of been one of the people that's really had a chance to do a lot of it. Um, so it's helped me grow professionally a lot. Um, and I've really taken a lot away from that experience. But I've also made some really, really great friendships um, through the process. So I think that's that's, awesome. that's a big standout. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know that you had mentioned this, but you um, this is just kind of a tangential question. But you said that you didn't go to formally to planning school, but um you have the AICP certification. Um, mm -hmm. So was that just a process of like studying for the exam on your own and then taking that? Like, I think a lot of questions that we get um, on the podcast is like, well, I don't know if like, I want to like go to get a master's degree or I don't know if I like necessarily want to do planning school, but I'm really interested. So I feel like it could be really interesting to just hear about the process of, obviously you're in a field that is related to planning with mm -hmm. architecture and design, but just like have kind of taking that initiative to do the certification without the schooling. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot that the perspective of planning brings to the table in terms of how we think about cities. I think for me, that was the biggest motivation is that there's a lot I've learned through going to design school about how to think about uh, really human centered design and how we create places for people. But um, there's this whole history of how cities have been built, you know, and that really goes back to a history of planning and it goes back to a grounding and all these other disciplines, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. that have had a hand in shaping the way cities um, have evolved. And so for me, it was more of an interest, uh, largely an interest to kind of have a have a grounding in, in some of that. Um, but then and also how that history continues to shape the way we build today, both in terms of regulatory practices, uh, you know, how that has informed equity, how that it's informed uh, community engagement. I, I do a lot of work in community engagement um, as it relates to urban design. And so there's a lot of just practice things that I could get a, a lot more out of by studying for the exam. So I, I did a lot of the study on my own. I had a mentor at work. Um, at the time, who was able to give me a lot of background and context, and she was a planner, um, and that really helped. Um, but it, it was also just a, a, a huge deal of curiosity and, and wanting to learn about planning law and learn about planning history and things that I didn't really go to school for. So awesome. Thank you so much for that. And I think, yeah, that's like that. I think that piece of that your story could be really helpful to those who are listening who might be thinking about, you know, wanting to further that, but not necessarily, you know, the money, have the money or time to go into like a master's degree or um, undergrad. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Uh, on a lighter note, what you really need are flashcards. That's yeah. it. You need flashcards. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, and we mentioned earlier that you're a Fulbright fellow. So can you explain to our listeners a little bit about what that entails and how your experience in that program has been? Sure. Yeah. So um, this was a while ago, but I received a Fulbright Fellowship, which is basically a cultural exchange scholarship that's facilitated by the U.S. government in partnership with other countries. So this happened while I was still living and working in India. Um, and there are several kinds of Fulbright programs. And the one I participated in was called the Fulbright Nehru Graduate Fellowship for Leadership Development. Um, and it was a partnership between the Indian government and the U.S. Um, and it enabled me to pursue a graduate program in urban design. Um, I went to WashU uh, in St. Louis, which, by the way, has a great design school and a really great master's program. So a little plug for that. Um, but the Fulbright Fellowship was so much more about graduate school. Um, you know, the entire cohort of people who came to the U.S. that year on the program um, together participated in seminars and workshops throughout the time that we were here. Um, and we were able to meet people from a variety of dis disciplines um, and from across the world um, and really engage in discussions and activities that oftentimes took really big picture questions to the front line. You know, and I remember having conversations about the conflict in Palestine and talking about, you know, climate change issues with people who were doing practice about that in Africa. I think it really just opens your perspective and broaden, broadens your horizon to a lot of the sort of global scale of things that are um, happening today. Um, so it was really, uh, you know, intended to promote um, cultural exchange and uh, diversify perspectives among, you know, the next generation of professionals, practitioners and, and leaders. Um, and it's actually open to people working in a variety of different fields. It's not just for, you know, planners or designers um, and people who are in the U.S. Uh, that get on the program, get to go to other countries and live and work there for a while to get the same sort of cultural assimilation. So it's, it's fantastic. Um, my experience both as part of the program and now as an alumnus have just been really wonderful. And, you know, if anyone listening out there is interested, I would highly, highly recommend it. Uh, you know, it's a great way to broaden your your perspective and your cultural um, horizons. So That's wonderful. Sam and I are always <clears throat> trying to invite opportunity for people to learn about all different kinds of programs or resources. And so this is one that we've never heard of and just really wanted to highlight. And I'm very glad because it sounds like it was an amazing experience and kind of brought a lot of opportunity, you know, to your to your plate. So that's amazing. And um, just kind of jumping into our discussion for today, you know, there's you have a particular interest in the way that people interact with buildings rather than the buildings themselves. Although, of course, I'm sure you're interested in that. But um, can you kind of explain what you believe are the most important elements of urban design when it comes to kind of creating interactive spaces or activating a space? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Firstly, I think urban design is fundamentally about, you know, creating places for people. I, I mean, the same for architecture as well. It really comes down to the human element and how people occupy and use places is I, I think at the core of how we should be designing them. And that might seem like an obvious statement, but it's surprising how often we design places to accommodate other things first, you know, like I don't know, parking. Like in we spend a lot of time talking about parking in Southern California. And I I do think it's important because it's it's such a big part of our lifestyle and culture here. But as a discipline, design is about prioritizing how our environments can make healthy places for people first. And I think we just need to keep coming back to that. So that's kind of how my interest in putting people at the center of everything really started and continues to be. Um, 
and this is going to sound strange, but right from when I was a student of urban design, I've spent a lot of time observing people and following what they do in places. One time I was part of a group of students who we, we were following cyclists in Copenhagen on bikes just to observe where they were going and how the, the infrastructure facilitated that and how it made it either easy or difficult to adopt cycling as a mode. Um, but sometimes it's just about, you know, getting a cup of coffee and hanging out in a place to people watch. It's it's amazing how much you can learn from just watching people um, to understand why some places work really well. They feel safe. They feel comfortable. They feel inviting. Um, and activated uh, while others just don't because you you can tell from the way you know people react to them uh, what some of the problems are for how they work um and so when we when we pay attention to those things it, it makes a big difference and for me that's one of the most important elements of urban design when it comes to creating interactive spaces or activating is to not have these assumptions about what a great great place needs to be but just go out there and watch you know just see and observe and take back those sort of very fundamental human things and then think about how to translate them through design into what, what you're creating. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think that's a, as a process, I think that works really well for um, urban places. And that's not to say there aren't several other important things to pay attention to. I think codes and regulations form a big part of it. Maintenance and operations, they're, they're underrated. A lot of times people are, you know, design places and then, and then you think you're done, but it's really about how over time that place is maintained and taken care of, and there's some stewardship and ownership of it by the people that use it every day. Um, and so coming back to how user-friendly, you know, places, I think is at the core of thinking about urban design. You know, <clears throat> you had mentioned Copenhagen and the kind of people watching element of, of this kind of work. And that just kind of resonated with me a lot because I feel like when you go to other countries, or particularly, I guess I'll say in my experience, when I go to other countries, I'm very observant of the way in which people interact with spaces. Mm -hmm. And one big thing that I notice is culturally in a lot of other countries, everybody's outside all the time. And yeah. they're walking around or they're going out and they're sitting at a cafe or, you know, I travel to Jordan a lot where my family's from and nightlife is really big out there or, you know, during certain um, uh, holidays or kind of events like you see more people in a space, but even more so it's like the concept of people sitting outside on the sidewalk has become a very relatively new thing in Los Angeles and in California in general. Whereas in other countries, this is like very common to see people out in the middle of the day <laughs> enjoying, you know, cup of coffee outside on the sidewalk and just watching how culturally different things are here, especially when it comes to urban design and the built environment has been very interesting for me. And even moving, like I'm originally from a very suburban city moving into like Los Angeles has been insane to just see the different ways that people are interacting with spaces. Um, so I think that's just like a really interesting element. And I do feel like, I don't know if it's like an urban planning thing, but I do feel very cognizant of watching how people interact with space when I'm out and about. And so yeah. it's just like your, your perspectives are, are just so interesting, like watching other people and how, how they're kind of going about their own day um, and how they use a specific space. And it might be different from yours, but I just really liked, you know, your, your approach to kind of understanding how you activate a space or engage with a space. Yeah. Thank and, you. Sorry. I was just going to, like add you know 
you're coming to the U.S. from India, like, I'm curious how, like, your, you know, upbringing and kind of growing up in, like, a different place with, you know, different culture, different everything, and moving to the U.S., like, how that has informed your kind of view of urban design and planning and architecture and what, you know, whatever um, you feel comfortable sharing if if you are. Yeah, I, I think, I think a lot of the, the principles and values are are the same, right? Like I, I, to, to what Natalie was speaking to before. Again, fundamentally, we're all human, and I think there's a certain core to um, to that, which is about what sorts of things we find beautiful, what sorts of things we find pleasant and enjoyable. Um, and I think we're across the world all trying to create those kinds of environments for ourselves. So I think there's a certain commonality to it. Um, but I think the difference comes in the way places have evolved historically and how what actions we take today may need to be oriented towards fixing the things that need to be fixed and enabling the things that need to be enabled. So I think in India, for example, that sort of life that, you know, Natalie, we're talking about Jordan, that life exists everywhere. You know, it's it's chaotic, it's messy, but it's beautiful. And it really, you know, feels vibrant and lively um, in most cases. And what's missing is really the infrastructure. You know, you, you don't have sidewalks. You don't have oftentimes the sorts of, you know, bus shelters or, you know, mass transit that's well-designed and convenient to use. So those are the things that are missing. And really the some of the challenges about that I would think about when living and working there were how do you build those things and get them in place without wiping away this vibrancy that just exists because things are so informal and casual. You know, the minute you start putting down rules and start excluding things from happening in space, that's when you lose that. Um, and and I think my experience here has kind of been the flip side of that is how do you bring about that life and vibrancy and that fuzziness that's so common in in, in great cities when you have so many rules that prohibit you from doing anything, yeah. you know, um, it, 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 this is not a knock on engineers by any means, but sometimes when I work with public work staff, I'm just like, okay, can we just not talk about curbs for a second and talk about the people who are walking? Um, you know, it comes down to little things like that, that just keep us from being able to allow for life to just happen. Um, so it's it, when, you know, in my work here, it's kind of been the, the opposite side of the coin, which is like, we have the infrastructure in many cases, we're making it better, but how do we, how do we allow life to happen in between all of that? Yeah. So. Sorry. I just want to like say one more thing just to this point, because it's making me think of a conversation I just recently had with a friend of mine where we were talking about like back in our home countries, there's this really prominent thing. And I, I don't know if you've seen it, but like when I was growing up and I would go to Jordan, I would constantly see like kids outside playing soccer, like in the middle mm-hmm. of the street. And I would go like run and join them. And that was like a really, you know, amazing memory for me growing up because it it is like you say it's the experience of life. And it is it, it just I don't know. There's something about it where it just really kind of it. It's a core memory for me. It brings up a lot of really positive feelings. And it's something that I don't really see here in the States. But I also think that's because we are so car dominant. And so we do have, you know, kind of these, you know, you have to go to a park or or whatever, but then there's this accessibility issue where there are so many park poor communities that there is not that, you know, kind mm-hmm. of 
opportunity. And so I'm just curious, like in your experience, do you feel like we are missing out on a lot of opportunity because of how car centric we are? Or do you feel like that's something like, is there a solution to that where, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that like kids should be playing soccer in the middle of the street, but, you know, are there kind of opportunities where there could be experiences like that, that are safe and can activate spaces or communities like around here in, in, I guess, Southern California specifically, but also in the U.S.? For the record, I absolutely think kids should be playing soccer in the middle of the street. I mean, that's just my my personal bias. Also, yeah. if this were India, we'd be playing cricket. But like, yeah, you know, I, love that. I think I think that's that's what you do, right? Like, um, and I think actually it's happening, or there is a certain bent of mind now that that should be normalized more and more. So there's you know programs that many cities are putting out, like play streets, that effectively look at closing streets down and making them available for other things. Uh, you know, the pandemic really made that a big deal for for outdoor dining, um, a lot of other cities and communities, especially ones that are park poor, are now looking at how can we take over some of that space um, and, and dedicate it to things other than cars. Um, it's an uphill battle. Like, it's not easy. And, you know, none of it is going to happen overnight. But I, I do think that already that shift in mindset is happening in the U.S. about how do we deprioritize, you know, space for cars and really make it about these other things that could really add so much more value to our lives. Um, I, I think it's obviously going to be something that the, the, the momentum for that will come when people don't feel the need to prioritize cars as much and people will stop prioritizing cars when they have other ways of getting around and when things are close enough that you can get to them through other means without it taking forever. So it's a it's it gets deeper and deeper into a very complex and we, we end up talking about transit and you know sustainable communities and walkability. And there's so much that needs to happen to support that. But I think it's really great that we're at a time now when we're saying, well, that's how we want to live. So how can we make it happen? So absolutely. And I feel like this, you know, we've kind of already begin begun to like segue into this question in this conversation. But um, if you just want to do like a, a rundown or like a quick little, you know, answer of what are some of the most pressing challenges that you have noticed in, you know, design and planning, particularly in Southern California um, at your time or during your time at Studio 111? Sure. I, I mean, we talked about parking. I, I, yeah. I you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's essential. I, I won't, you know, I won't refute that. Um, but I think it should not be central to the way we think about how we build places. So I think that's definitely a challenge. And again, there's a big shift that's already ongoing on in the mindset about this, but there's a lot of work to be done there to really not just, not just adopt the idea, but, but implement it of, of really make communities that can, you know, exist without as much parking that can exist yeah. without as much auto um, dependency. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a big, that's kind of core to a lot of what we do. Um, so I think that's a big one. Um, I I will also say while I'm, a, I, I am a fan of rules and regulations, don't get me wrong. I do think there's way too many of them. I think there needs to be a little bit more um, irreverence and, and, and naughtiness and playfulness about the way we think about cities uh, selectively, you know, we, we we need things to be safe. We need things to be orderly. And I get that. But um, I think there's maybe a little bit 
too much of that um, to where we're not allowing for things to happen that would naturally in a place that supports healthy human living. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the other big one, and it's maybe just a, a statement of the times, but I, I think, uh, you know, the, the the issue of homelessness and the housing crisis is huge. It's so big at the moment, and it colors almost every discussion we have on urban design and planning, uh, no matter what project I'm working on. And I, I it's it's one of those sort of wicked problems that's well outside the domain of planning and design to solve on its own. I, I don't think it's something you can solve just through that, but um, it is one of, I think, one of the most pressing challenges of, of at least, you know, Southern California cities in this, in this decade. Yeah, these are all really great points and stuff that Sam and I are constantly talking about with other folks and just amongst ourselves. And, you know, we're also constantly kind of trying to come to terms with addressing how we build spaces and cities that are both accessible and equitable, because this is a really common topic that comes up in the in the space of planning. But you also alluded to the fact that it's not just planning that can solve all of these problems. There has to be, you know, kind of a, a, a consensus and, and, you know, partnerships that are formed between different fields that can address these challenges. But how do you believe that urban planning can play a role in getting us to the end goal, ultimately, of sustainable and equitable cities and communities and spaces? Yeah, I was actually, I was talking to a colleague of mine at Studio 11 about this, and we had a pretty great discussion. Um, one one of the things that I took away and I'd like to share is, I, I'm actually not sure that there ever is an end goal. You know, there, I'm not sure that there is a sort of urban utopian condition where we have fully sustainable, fully equitable cities, because cities are naturally dynamic. Change happens constantly. And everything that we're doing today feels like a product of our current society and our current worldview and everything that we see as being sort of wrong or need fixing in the way things are today. Um, And I think we can definitely move the needle on addressing some of these issues of sustainability and equity, you know, through all of our planning work. Um, And we can do it consistently and make that a constant. But the future always brings more flux and more change to where the specific issues around sustainability or equity will probably keep changing and we probably just have to keep constantly adapting. So I think that's sort of one thing that, you know, it came from a discussion with a colleague, but it, it, it affected me profoundly in the sense that, yeah, we're talking about equity today. We're always going to be talking about equity. We're always going to be talking about sustainability because what that looks like, I think will keep changing. Um, and that's a good thing, like to keep coming back to that discussion and making sure that we're staying true to what, what the North star of that is, I think is good. Um, but having said that, there are several tools that we that we already have in our practice that help us do this, uh, you know, scenario planning, thinking about various possible futures and how our actions can lead to different outcomes. And then being able to say, OK, this is the path we want to go is, is a big one. Um, you know, methods like life cycle thinking that really bring the focus back on sustainability beyond the immediate time frame and think about long term. What impact is this going to have in the way we uh, live um, is another big one for me. And I, I also think most importantly, and I, I mentioned this before, I do a lot of community engagement related work and, you know, participatory approaches in planning, using engagement and outreach as tools to really ground our decision making. I mean, that's really, really important because, you know, we've we've made some good strides, but even if you look at it historically, um, 
a lot of people, especially those that were more disadvantaged um, economically or culturally, have not always been involved in making some of these big decisions about how their neighborhoods uh, grow and develop and adapt. Um, and a lot of our issues around equity, at least as it relates to the physical environment today, have come from those kinds of practices. You know, redlining is is a is a is a poster child for that. But there's just so much more. Um, and so I think again, like rethinking the planning practice as being more community based and being more participatory and really giving voice to a lot of the disinvested um, communities and people who haven't always had a seat at the table, um, I think is is really, really big and important. And, and we're doing a lot of it and there's a lot more to be done and a lot more to refine in the ways we operate to enable that to happen more naturally. But I think that that's sort of going to be the centerpiece of how we really bring equity um, into the conversation and, and get to that goal over and over again. Yeah, I really appreciate your kind of a, addressing the fact that there's really no such thing as an end goal. And I never really thought about it like that. But I think, as you said, with everything being in constant change or constantly evolving over time, I do think that's a very practical way to look at things, especially like we can even see that. I think prime example was the pandemic so much like yeah. that was so abrupt. It happened so quickly and it changed so many different things. And I think even just first and foremost in discussion to kind of the concepts of urban planning, it's like witnessing, you know, people stop driving because they're mm -hmm. working home, seeing now that we have hybrid work environments. So more people actually are working from home and they're kind of their whole daily life or schedules are changing. And so that also changes the way that they interact with space when they go out, when they're not, you know, when they are at home, like that's very different now. Um, and so I do think that the pandemic did kind of highlight the point that you and your colleague made, which is that things are always going to be changing and we're also not going to know or really be able to expect when something, you know, as crazy as a worldwide pandemic happens. And so it is that kind of adaptation and adjustment when those things do happen, but always just keeping in mind that there should be priorities. And I do think that, you know, sustainability, equity, those should always be priorities at the forefront, but definitely not saying, I think I'm not going to say anymore that like, this is the end goal because I also think that could kind of that could kind of be harmful in a way because if you don't achieve like this ultimate thing, it's not even necessarily your fault. It's just that, like you said, there things come up and things happen. And so um, I think that was just like a really interesting way of of addressing that question. And I I really appreciate like your thoughts on that. Yeah, I I, I think you're absolutely right. It's it just to sort of put a bow on it. I, it's it's how we think about planning fundamentally needs to be grounded yeah. in sustainability and equity. Like that's the way we operate, you yeah. know, and then where we get to with that is going to keep changing depending upon how cities are evolving and what, what happens next with a pandemic or whatever else, energy crisis, homelessness, right. all, all of it, you know, um, but just coming back to the, the fundamentals of the way we operate being grounded in things like sustainability, equity, which are key sort of principles is yeah. important yeah yeah absolutely yeah. we were like natalie was writing down notes as you were talking like that was really really amazing <laughs> like that just like the idea because i don't know i feel like 
a lot of the times like in our classes, like we would kind of talk about like, okay, we need to achieve these goals. Like how do we get there? But it's like, it is, I don't know. It is really not, we need to achieve these goals necessarily. Like, yes, obviously we want to house people. We want sustainability and equity, but yeah, it is always in flux and there is always, you know, things that are changing and coming up. So yeah, I, I also appreciate you kind of very eloquently and concisely like wrapping that up. Like that was really amazing. Um, and just to wrap up, we want to thank you so much for chatting with us today. And we always ask guests if you have any organizations or programs that you would like to give a shout out to, obviously like Studio 111, your employer, like that we've talked, we've talked about um, Studio 111. But if you have any other organizations that are, you know, local or that you want to give a shout out to, we want to give you the time to do that. Um, I, there, there's a lot, honestly, I, but I, I almost think about it as like categories of, or themes of organizations. I, I, I want to give a shout out to all bids, business improvement districts across <laughs> Southern California. They do the God's work of like maintaining <laughs> all the places that we try to, you know, create and sustain. So, you know, some of those people who really do the hard work of, of managing and operating and building the things that, and keeping them going, I think it's, it's underrated, but it's so, so important in everything we do in cities. Um, it's a weird one, but I, I think that's definitely one on my list. Um, but then also, you know, we talked a little bit about the homelessness crisis and the housing crisis. Um, just a shout out to all the amazing organizations in LA that are working to address this issue, um, especially through creating ways to have more affordable housing and supportive services. You know, uh, we work with several of the, of those types of organizations at Studio um, and we have the privilege, really, of seeing all of the different approaches and perspectives and, and the hard work that that goes into this. And it's really it's not an abstract problem. You know, there's a way to talk about this in numbers. There's a way to, you know, talk about the magnitude of it. But it, it really takes real empathy to fully engage in this work and the human condition of it. It's it's a lot and it's not easy. So it's much more about the just checking checking a box um, in a job description. So huge, huge shout out to all of the folks that have committed to tackling this issue head on, all the affordable housing developers, everybody providing support services, everybody looking at policy and advocacy. It, it, it might not individually seem uh, enough, but put all put together, I think we're, we're doing really, really great work. So um, those are, yeah, those are some of the, some of the thoughts I had. Just when you said shout outs, I think. <laughs> there are so many different organizations and I always feel like sometimes I'm like, is that a really loaded question? Because I'm sure like in your experience, you have <laughs> so, many, so many organizations you're like, I can't choose. So yeah, that's perfect. And we are just so grateful to have you here. Thank you so much for talking with us. And we definitely hope to have you back on just to discuss more as things come, because like you said, everything's always changing. And so there's yeah. always new things to talk about and discuss. <laughs> I just planted the seed for that. So yeah, yes. let's, let's, <laughs> but this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really great conversation and I really enjoyed talking to both of you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>